0: Howdy, hi, hello. This is <laughs> Vegan Carne, episode five. I'm Cole Moss.
1: I'm Jesse Molinix.
0: And we are here <laughs> to uh, talk to you about so many things. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Jesse's time in Mexico where he, I mean, you lived, you went to school. Lived,
1: you, went to school, worked at a school, uh-huh. um,
0: did some dinners, traveling. Right on. Yeah. I'm excited. Went all over. <laughs> I, Mexico um, is a place that I'm very curious about. Obviously, living in Southern California, it's a big part of life out here, and we're going to talk a lot about our connection to that place and your connection to that place, and I'm really excited about it. Um, we are going to start off this episode with, usually it's the five most interesting things happening in the vegan world right now, but today... I found even more that I thought were even more interesting. Uh, so we're going to start out with the top. So there's a Czech lab that grew mustard plants for Mars. Now, this is what I thought was interesting. This The team has already succeeded in growing mustard plants, salad leaves, radishes, and herbs like basil and mint. But, you, I mean, you hear things like that. You're like, yeah, cool, Mars, great. Like, I'm not going there, doesn't matter. Here's why it's interesting to me. The main benefit... Of the growing method is that they grew this mustard plant with 95% less water than normal plant cultivation. Wow. Which is magnificent. Have you... uh, I can't even... Well,
1: I love the idea of Mars being a farm for Earth, you know? (laughs) It's like it's uh, just, you know, be real uh, beneficial for space.
0: Just, I think about, like, all the time. Can you imagine if you went over to your friend's house and they're like, yo, I got some of that space mustard. Like, I want to put that on every sandwich I have. Like, Uh the way it would be the holy grail of, like, your sort of culinary life like
2: oh yeah
1: yeah. i feel like at first it'd be like oh look it's mars mustard and then it's like whoa it's crazy and then you're after a little bit you're like that's like
0: the low-end shit and you're like oh (laughs) man you just get some stuff here on earth yeah yeah, (laughs) right right like yeah but have you tried that saturn like ketchup it's even Uh, Uh, uh okay let's see uh so next story uh the village that's been vegan for 50 years. So right now, whenever you sort of top out on a lot of lists of like, where are the most vegan friendly cities? Usually Tel Aviv comes up and it's there's Tel Aviv. Yeah. So in Mm -hmm. Israel, there's a large growing contingency of young people who have really shifted that culture. And I think that's, to be honest, I think most places that go plant-based, but aren't there places in India that have been doing it for like hundreds of years? They're not, but (laughs) so the problem in, in India, though it's very vegan friendly, I wouldn't, it's, not oh, necessarily right. It's right, more, vegetarian more vegetarian focused. Right, so right. because they're doing okay. things like yogurt, uh, ghee, things like that. They have, yeah. I've, you know, as a, as a meat eater, I always, tomato, tomato. Animal. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, no, I feel I'm you. Like Eggs. So I, Can I was looking them? into this though. The, so this village, this is not, the village is not actually, uh, Tel Aviv. It's a, um, it's a compound called Nev Shalom, which means a village of peace. I'm sure I just bludgeoned how you actually say that. Um, but it's, so it started the original 138 members of this community mostly came from Chicago and they migrated in 1969 to Israel. Um, and they're, they're a very religious sect. The whole wow. thing comes out of pretty much like a a couple of Bible Bible verses. So Genesis one twenty-nine thirty. 30, um, Essentially, they think they live by this diet that was prescribed to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so this is the Bible verse. So Genesis 129 30, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree on which is the fruit yielding seed to you. It shall be for food dot 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 everything that has the breath of life in it, comma, I give every green herb for food. So there were things that were really interesting about this. In that interpretation of the Bible verse, they have, they have chosen to abstain from anything that does not have seeds. So say that we've genetically modified something to grow without seeds. For example, seedless watermelon. They do not eat it. They will only eat watermelon that has seeds. That's good. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that genetically modified things without seeds is like ultimately an abomination.
0: Well, I mean, you say that, but <laughs> I, do you turn down corn whenever it comes your way? Because all of those big corn husks. Right. That
1: we get, well, I'm not so picky. Like <laughs> yeah, I eat I'm eating. Yeah. yeah I, know. But
0: like, I prefer like, yeah, like natural. It soup. is really interesting mm-hmm. to see those early versions of things. So I, I don't know if you we ever talked about this, but there yeah. are these early like Flemish paintings right from the 15th or 16th centuries. And speaking of watermelon in a lot of those paintings, there are early versions of watermelons that look nothing like what we eat now. So it's um, it's a much larger version in, in my memory. It's a much larger version of like the outside sort of sh- shell. And then within it, the sort of meat, that red, um, the red meat w- that would be within it mm. is like much smaller and more contained. It's very interesting. Like but more we, rind. Right, right. So we're seeing that in those paintings. We're looking at these things and going like, oh, that's what watermelons looked like because everything else is sort of right. the lemons look normal or what we're used to, things like that. Um, oh, that brings me to a, a point actually, we're going
1: to get to it later, is the, in Oaxaca, uh-huh. um, they have a, a section of fruit that's called criollo, uh-huh. and that is the natural fruit or, or vegetables fruit of the, of the region uh-huh. before cultivation, all that, right? Like uh, jalapenos, for instance. Uh-huh. The jalapenos that we know that are like nice, bright green, and the criollo ones have these dark uh, brown veins that uh-huh. go all over the outside of the skin, and it's really tough, and you have to take the skin off and we because it's just like it's woody it's almost like ginger do
0: you, do you peel them like a potato you'd roast it oh you roast it to yeah, take it off you roast
1: it to take it off and there's another um fruit called um oh it's eluding me right now it has a seed it's oh my god uh, chayote chayote hmm. now criollo chayote is covered in spikes but the, we've read it to be totally smooth, like a baby's butt. Of course, you know. And I mean,
0: I want everything to be like a smooth baby butt.
1: Don't yeah, because easy and delicious and soft. But the original <laughs> was like the whole thing's covered in spikes. It looks like a dinosaur uh-huh. thing, and you have to like use gloves and take out. But the flavor difference is tremendous. Mm. Of course, you know. Yeah. And um, and a lot of these have to be cooked. You uh-huh. know, they, you can't eat them raw because it's just a little too hard on the digestion. You're going to get a lot of stuff (laughs) (laughs) non-digested.
0: Um, that's that is really fascinating. Really it's just well, it's interesting to think of like uh imagine, I mean, I obviously as a vegan, not much of my food fights back anymore, but it's that same thing where like, what if would I appreciate a vegetable more if it like always was spiky? I always had to uh-huh. wear, you know, my um, my gardening gloves whenever I'm working on it. I don't know. You like you gave us you gave Alex and I some of those c- scorpion peppers and you were like, Don't cut this thing open without gloves. And we have not cut it open because I don't have gloves. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm living a life of fear. Like I've 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 literally not picked that thing up. Is- Scared with, you too much? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I haven't even picked it up with my hands because I'm afraid that just that osmosis, the simple, slight touch, is gonna Do take you, me down. Yeah, fire our fingers for three days. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, <laughs> not really sure. Uh, OK, let's see. So moving on to the next story, uh, there is a proposed bill that wants all plant based beef labeled imitation. So a new bipartisan bill requiring beef that's not derived from cows, i.e. plant based beef like Impossible Burgers or Beyond Burgers, yada, 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 to be labeled, quote unquote, imitation was proposed in Congress um, recently. Uh, so the legislation called the real meats, real, the real marketing edible artificials truthfully act they're really trying to get this acronym or the real meat act is what they're calling it It was introduced by republican anthony brindisi a democrat oh wait uh, representative anthony brindisi a democrat whose district covers a rural part of new york and representative roger marshall a republican from kansas um i don't know it's i actually have no i have no problem with that because i think most Mm -hmm. of those packages when you pick them up they have some sort of indication yeah but to be honest, I actually, I, I wish food labeling were better everywhere. So if I go to certain grocery stores, sometimes underneath it, they actually have a little bitty thing that says vegan. Like it'll, there's this little symbol, Right. but there's so many products that I purchased that I know are vegan. I have looked into it. People have you know emailed them. You can find online how they've like tracked it down, but I, I don't know. So I think this idea is, I, I think they think it's going to Hurt the market for vegan meats mm-hmm. They're going to think imitation Which I do think imitation Sort of in the same way The word fake it, Well, imitation it, crab Right, exactly You know, exactly. like you think Immediately like Yeah, like imitate Low quality Yeah, but people eat that All the
1: time And they actually love it I Well, you know what's interesting is, is in that same context is like, okay When that was around There was none of this Congress Like this huge talk But now that vegan meats Are coming around With really good products uh-huh. And that people are interested In making right, money Right It's like everyone's like Like Real Ooh. yeah
2: fuck, we got <laughs> fire, fire fire yeah uh-huh. it's like
1: this can't be called meat it has to mm. like we have to have lit. it's like so much involved mm. which means that it's doing a good job yeah I mean it, it
0: shows the growing popularity I think, think
1: that like at a grocery store a little just a vegan a V or something would
0: be great <laughs> well the thing that's interesting so in the same way like a kosher diet right if you follow adherence to that if you go through mm-hmm. you have to have a certain rabbi or a uh, a certain um, like a uh, like bless the food, well, right? No, they come through and they they essentially go through and check the steps to make sure that it is kosher. Okay, and yeah. I I I know that costs money, and that's why certain places don't do things like that. If you have a brand new product going to market, you may not be able to afford that. I don't know what it costs a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. They have to because they have to verify all to of the, the materials 000. all the way through, right? Yeah, <laughs> they have to go see the source where it comes yeah. from, how it comes through, how it gets processed, and depending on how many parts are you know how many pieces are into your recipe or whatever that is you know they have to verify all of that so it takes money time things like that it is a shame though because i do i do wish just across the board for example like with with sugar right if i'm going to the market and i see something that's a sweet on uh, like just in in some section if i see something that's a you know like a chocolate thing if it says on there just sugar i i can't know if it's vegan they might be using a vegan sugar but most white sugar that's used commercially because it's the cheapest uh white cane sugar it is it has a bone char in it so it's not vegan so it's really? one of those things right so it's wow. like i have to Did be on the lookout that? for that but it would be so nice if it literally just said like Vegan cane sugar, or if there was some It'd be some sort cool of cool. If the FDA came up with just like a green V that uh-huh. was like at the top right of every package, yeah. if it was vegan, or yeah. bottom left, or yeah, know? anywhere, Those like right you no, know, on the bottom, you know, whatever you want to do. But it, so I, you wouldn't have to like yeah, go in the I, back and look at like the list of crazy ingredients that's inside of something to I, be like, is that? I think we're all in favor of more clear labeling, yeah. but the problem is the the thing that's interesting about this is they think there's confusion, but I've never, I've, I mean. Maybe it's just me, but I've yet to meet anyone who's gone to the store and accidentally purchased a Beyond Meat package instead of beef. You know what I mean? Or an impossible package. I've done it. (laughs) You did it? I have done it, Wait, really? Uh Uh-huh. Wait, what happened? Uh, What'd you buy? I got sausages. Oh, you bought the Beyond Meat sausages? I bought, I don't know what they were. I just bought them and I was like eating them and I was like this is a meat
2: <laughs>
1: so what is this so you okay fantastic so you're the person
0: i i love that. i'm like i've yet to meet anyone and someone sitting across from me is that's
1: perfect of course,
2: yeah naturally
0: yeah. right
1: because i'm also something like i if i can avoid reading a label i will <laughs> you know so you know i've ended up with vegan cheese i've mm-hmm. gotten vegan cheese vegan the vegan cheddar and mm-hmm. i was like this is tastes like cheddar but it's like more cheesy than cheese. Huh. And I was like, oh, it's vegan cheese. More cheesy than cheese. Wow, this
0: is actually pretty good. Huh. That's funny. So you bought two products without it. Okay, yeah. interesting. Well, yeah. there you go. Okay, so we need better labeling. That's what we just found yeah. out right <laughs> in this singular section. Uh, okay, let's see. Next up, uh, so the Impossible Whopper drives 5% of Burger King's quarter three U.S., comp sales so uh the impossible burger drove dah, 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 comparable sales in the u.s during the third quarter the brand's strongest growth since 2015 so if you all don't mm-hmm. remember from a previous mm-hmm. episode they introduced the impossible burger it is nationwide if you have a burger king near you you can go have it um i i think it's wonderful that it is there i do Dude, not a think lot it of is my
1: friends are eating it oh, um really? like construction dudes what? and they're going because they're like oh yeah man like uh fucking you know, they're like, oh, yeah, less calories or something. I don't even know if it even is. I don't think they know if it even is. <laughs> but they think that, know. like, eating that, that they're like, sure. oh, I'm going to be slimming down because I'm not, you know. So it's – it's and they, they say it tastes great. They're it's liking wonderful. it. It's
0: wonderful, yeah. I'm glad they're into it. Yeah, again, I think, too, it's, it's, it's got to be
1: better than, like, the hormone-ridden
0: meat patties that um, – Possibly possibly B- yeah possibly impossibly <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, so but one of the thing i thought so let's see the the impossible whopper was one of the most successful rollouts in burger king's history restaurant brands international ceo jose sil cil told investors during an, an october earnings call i just think one of the things That's amazing yeah it has to be an indication i i as we're sort of seeing this and you hearing this i mean I, I wrote on the website that not having plant-based foods is essentially like turning off your free money printer in your like organization. I, I hadn't before impossible did this. I, I mean, I, when I went vegan, I was like, okay, well I can't, I can sometimes eat French fries in places, but outside of that, I have nothing to eat at any of these restaurants by having an option like this, you introduce a whole new demographic to these companies. So it's, it's, Now, like, for example, it's, it's sort of, it's glaring now when you walk into Mm -hmm. a restaurant and they don't have that option. And uh, uh, for example, McDonald's does not, we know that they are now testing the Beyond burger up in Canada and probably they're going to do something similar in America sometime soon. I think in the next six months, the Beyond chicken breast. (laughs) Well, those are coming. No, they've (laughs) started with chicken chicken, actually. Really? Yeah. It's really, to be honest, I really like it. I want to see the bone in Beyond chicken leg. That. I also might be on its way. There's a really, there's a <laughs> really, there's a, there's a really good vegan, um, equivalent. That's actually, it's made with soy. It's, um, that I, I love it. That has this beautiful flaky skin, but it's made by, um, there's a New York producer. I'm trying to remember. They're one of the oldest makers of vegan foods mm-hmm. and they, they make one and it has a little, um, has a little wooden stick in it.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's
0: great. It's great. You know
1: what this is doing for the, the meat group too, like the meat, the carne side mm-hmm. of things is that, you know, since this, uh, movement mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, the impossible burger beyond meat coming in, it's made, it's forced the, the, the meat side mm-hmm. to up their game of quality, right? You're seeing grass fed, mm-hmm. you're seeing whole grain again, right. you're seeing organic vegetables, right. like even something like Del Taco, like since the, um, this movement kind of began, mm-hmm something like Del Taco, which was kind of like my go-to construction food, Uh you know, because it's like probably the best bang for your buck, I thought. Uh Their quality has gone tremendously, you know, up Hmm. just by like, you know, better quality chicken, better Uh quality vegetables, more uh, their freshness. Uh So it's, it's causing the other side to really, to up their game too, you Uh know, which is great. It's great that, you know, veganism isn't just, changing the lives of vegans but it's changing the lives of of meat eaters too true you know really raising the quality I think once people start eating quality stuff Mm -hmm. they can't go back
0: right well I think and I think once you start thinking about things like that too where you Mm -hmm. go like oh this is grass fed as soon as you start eating that semi regularly you recognize that when you go to a place and it does not say grass fed that you're getting a different kind of product that if you have cage free eggs if you go to a place and it doesn't say anything the reason it doesn't say anything is because they are not cage free eggs those chickens lived in a cage so I think that sort of awareness you go like oh I didn't even but it's one of those things to just not know and at a certain point you learn Mm -hmm. and whenever you learn you sort of recognize that distinction you go this is a different thing i'm buying although the product tastes the same the life of the thing that made that product is vastly different if you pay attention to things like that Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well you like eggs for instance that's a great one because cage uh
0: free eggs pasture raised all of those things you
1: look just at the egg you have this like little soggy runny like light yellow egg compared to like really dark golden. Well, I mean, he standing
0: up. You've you've seen like mm-hmm. the eggs in Europe, right? So, oh yeah, eggs in America, America have to be put Japan. into a have to be put into a refrigerator, otherwise they will spoil. But the eggs in Europe are never refrigerated, and the oh, reason yeah. why is because those eggs, the chickens that make them, are raised in a different way. They're hormone free. They I don't know. They're I don't remember stable eggs, Even here. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Never remember the name.
0: Waste of time. Like, there's a shell on it. It's yeah. okay. a
1: bacteria proof
0: something. Thing. 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 Shell. Okay. Let's see. Uh, so moving to the next one Beyond Meat mm-hmm. is bringing in Coca Cola veteran to head marketing. So Beyond Meat is bringing in veteran Stuart. I don't know. Um, she is going to be its chief marketing officer, the, they announced recently. And it looks like they're going to try to boost the presence in retail and restaurants. So um, they, this is sort of the second big move they've had recently. They also named former Tesla Incorporated executive Sanjay Shah as its chief operating officer. Now, here's one of the Holy things that shit, I'm wondering about. Yeah, yep. they're both, those are both big deals. Those are major mm-hmm. companies. Now, here's my question in sort of doing this. And this is one of those things where I think in the same way we talk about who plant-based is appealing to versus the word vegan, vegans, I think, are a more old school thing, whereas I think plant-based is a, a word or term typically used to attract a wider audience. I think most people don't go, I, I like vegan food, but they go, I like vegetables. So let's use that. You know yeah. what I mean? In sort of that thinking, my question to you is, They've announced that Stuart Cronich will be coming in from Coca-Cola. Is it a good sign that Beyond Meat is bringing in someone from Coca-Cola? Like if they, I I don't think, I mean, I say this, Coca-Cola, and I love Coca-Cola. It's one of my favorite things on earth. But I do understand that Coca-Colas are a little bit like cigarettes. There is no part of them that is good for you, right? They're a huge conglomerate. Right. They have, they're tried to, they they have done things around the world to reshape the way that we, um the way legislation is applied to them, how they are taxed, things like that, you know what I mean? The way they source sugar, the way that they're doing these things, uh, the 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 way that they're manipulating markets. Is it a good idea that someone like this would come into a company like Beyond Meat? And I always have to say definitely. Okay. Because
1: these guys are just obviously huge players. Uh-huh. Well, and, that's true. Yeah, they understand yeah, how
0: to be involved in those markets on a larger scale. And if they're willing
1: to like kind of cross over from this coca-cola to a plant-based so it's like it's obvious that they see that it's a viable it's true business it's true and i see you're saying that like okay is it going to is it going to make that turn is, back well, towards like a coca-cola kind of
0: product is, is that it going to lose who, its quality mm-hmm. is it going to be like well not its quality but i just mean does it like does that indicate that maybe beyond meat and their products it's like if if that's if you can come from Coca Cola, obviously Tesla's focused on it's innovation. It's almost like
1: general switching sides, though. It's like, oh, <laughs> backhand, we're losing. Let's oh, go over right, there. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, that's kind of what it seems like to okay. me. It's more like. Let's go get on this because this is the future, and we're in the past. Because okay. Coca Cola, let's face it, people like I don't drink Coca Cola uh-huh. nearly as much as I used to. I don't think anyone I know that's true drinks Coca Cola. Like no. most of the people I know that drink Coca Cola all the time, are drinking like Lacroix. You true. know, true. Yeah, and um, people are switching. Yeah. They're switching because right. they're they're aware of the health. Like it's not a mystery anymore. It's not like mm. oh, this is bad for you. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like. Uh-huh okay, we just can't even act like it's not bad for you. That's true. You know? Yeah.
0: So it's fair. I like the mm, way you think about it. General switch sides. They see the war is turning.
2: Yeah.
1: And they don't want to go down. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, mm. cause it's true. A big company like Coca-Cola, like all it'll take is for, you know, a, a mass decline. And mm. then it would start, you know, it, I don't know what will happen. I don't know about huge businesses that are so, you know, powerful like that, but, mm. Definitely, the the shift is on the health,
0: the okay. better product. Well, like I said, I hope we see, like, I've always wanted to see a really sick marketing campaign for, like, broccoli. You know what I mean? Like, every you know whenever they release, like, the new Nike Air Max? Like, I've always wanted them to just be, like, broccoli. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's just, like, it's, like, cutting through the jungle, and it's still looking sick, and it's, like... Looks really You're like gonna
1: see beyond me. It's going to have like red and gold. It's going to be like McDonald's or, big, or In-N-Out uh, burger.
0: Absolutely. Logo. Yeah, Uh-huh. that's right. Okay, let's <laughs> we'll see. Superman. All right. Ghost. So we're going to move on to the next story. Totally. <laughs> I know. I know. It's good. Um, the next thing, uh, it has been announced, Morgan Neville. So this is a guy who's done a t- tremendous amount of films. I don't know if you, everybody, did you see the Mr. Rogers documentary last year? Won't You Be My Neighbor? No you see that. So, um, or like 20 feet from stardom. What else has he done? He's done a lot of things. He does ugly delicious with David Chang. It okay, has been I announced that. that he is going to be doing a documentary on Anthony Bourdain.
2: Oh yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I just, I, I think that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting. Um, it, it's tricky with films. Sometimes the film that gets made, uh, fully informs how people will understand those events so you think of things like um jfk who sorry who did that film i'm trying to remember who did jfk that was a uh uh, oh no uh, jfk film googling i'm googling real quick it was done by oh right oliver stone and it's like that's his interpretation Mm -hmm. of what happened to jfk and most of it is largely unfounded in what we know is reality now but people watch that movie and that becomes the truth of it and i guess Mm -hmm. i I think it's tricky jfk obviously lived a life where he was in the public sort of limelight and as president he lived a life but a lot of that is behind doors same thing with anthony bourdain we have a lot of Television episodes, we saw him live his life for many years. So we we do have an experience of knowing him through that, in him getting to show himself to the world in a way that he wanted. But my question is, do you ever get nervous about things that sort of like? I mean, a a documentary film about someone sort of culminates a person. It really sort of encapsulates what they are. Mm -hmm. My and I, I think he will do a wonderful job with this. I'm, I don't doubt. I've actually seen Morgan Neville speak. Um, But my concern is always is. Is the way that they frame this person going to ultimately shape the way that we think of everything they did? I mean, I, they talk about how we um, sort of reference history. And it's like one of those things where whenever people wrote. Well, yeah. Well, like, uh, uh, oh. ultimately, the sad truth is it
1: is it not going to change everyone's, but majority of the people are going to watch the movie mm-hmm. and not read the, the facts and, and information come to conclusions on their own. Cause that's the only way to really ever get to know someone. Look at like the movie, like the doors, you know, like I like Jim Morrison, I'm a doors fan. Mm-hmm. And you know, that movie like paints this, image of Jim Morrison and the doors in this very particular way. Uh-huh. And it's really just totally untrue to the, the actual doors and the actual right. thing that happened. It's like, that's Valcom where you're uh-huh. look, you're watching. That's uh-huh. a movie that's done up. That's Hollywood. Uh-huh. And it's always going to have those aspects mm-hmm. of making things like to appear in certain lights uh-huh. for their own agenda.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So that's the sad truth about like, Documentary. And there's only going to be until like, you know, you, you go
0: do your own hard research. Right. Well, but let's, let's hope it inspires yeah. people to do that. And anything yeah. that turns people towards him, I think is a positive because we yeah. want people to. I mean, he lived a very interesting life and I think he was doing wonderful things. I think he inspired people and Bringing so many people different together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And
1: different yeah. levels of people, social classes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. From across the board. I mean, he mm-hmm. would go to countries and just treat people Uh, with a certain respect that they deserved ultimately that they hadn't been given probably prior to that as far as within the culinary world. You know what I mean? Not treating them as like, oh, look at this little thing that they do in this country. It's like, no, this is very interesting and there's a large historical precedent where it comes from, it's history, the uh, it's sort of totally. the culmination of so many you things really of leading like towards one thing.
1: Like Thai street food people on the right. same level as like executives in Hong Kong. Right. You know, and like putting them on the same show at the mm-hmm. same level it's and true. the same respect. I think that was one of his greatest gifts.
0: I agree. Okay, so let's see. The last story that I wanted to talk about, which is new in California where we are, but not new across the country, California Governor Gavin Newsom um, introduced new legislation recently to make eating roadkill in California okay. (laughs) Okay. so this is within Why? the yeah, um, within the last week he had he's banned school lunch debt shaming he has outlawed production of new for coats he is and now he's given californians the okay to eat roadkill um so it's going to be senate bill 395 makes california the most recent of more than <laughs> oh 20 God. states that allow motorists to salvage and eat animals killed by vehicles and i'm going to be honest okay, so man. he i actually think roadkill is maybe the only vegan meat okay, that's, you know, you're on another trip right now, man. So he, here's my thinking behind <laughs> yeah, that, Paul right? Stamets. It's, it's always about, um, if, if you can avoid things, you uh-huh. do, right? And obviously, I mean, we could avoid riding in cars, but that is not something that's about to happen around the world. Uh-huh. In that, speaking to that, the idea is this animal, the intention wasn't to set out and kill this thing, but if this thing does die, I think it would be so much worse to leave it or not allow it be used. So if this, if you hit a deer and you make venison from it i think that is probably about as close as you can get to what vegan meat is i mean which is that there was no intention to kill this animal no one set out to harm it but if Mm -hmm. it was harmed it should be used and because of that i think in my line of logic and there probably Mm -hmm. are flaws in this talk to me about them if you hear them yeah um but that's my thinking and i just think it's a generally speaking i think it's a good thing because in the end it's like don't again no waste it's about living without waste and to be honest it's If you, I mean, depending on the size of the animal you hit and Mm -hmm. what you are hitting, that can feed a tremendous amount of people. Right. But there's the problems of like people hitting animals to intentionally do this. I just don't think anybody's in hitting them intentionally. Do you? Oh, yeah. People hit deers intentionally to eat them well i knew I, where i'm from I in think, missouri i don't know maybe not. i know i knew people who used to drive around with guns in their cars them and, say and they, they, they hit would, them. They would sh- yeah they would shoot it and then they would go out and buy a ticket for hunting and say they got it then and it's like you didn't right you're, you're but they're all trying to yeah anyway well people i don't trying look to,
1: at a road because being waste because it decomposes it decomposes it goes back to the earth the earth true. uses it again it comes part of this cycle but not if it's on a road well just someone's got to scrape it up and throw it into the dirt well, that's It'll true. still decompose on a road Oh, that's very yeah. true well, Yeah, yeah, but the rain will yeah. wash it away no, That's true um, uh, You know, like, I don't think eating roadkill should be illegal uh-huh. um, Anyways, I think it's definitely a personal choice I <laughs> think it's kind of bizarre I would it's, never go pick up It is bizarre d- No, I'm dead. not about to eat it either uh-huh. I'm just um, uh, You know, I don't know what would prompt this It's like, I didn't know it was illegal I didn't know right. picking up a dead animal off the side of the road and eating it would be illegal <laughs> Can, Can you, you imagine, imagine if they're you're, you're like you're
0: in jail and they're like what are you in for and it's like oh man I uh, I was driving my car and I uh I ended up killing this animal and I was eating it it's and they were like this. you're g- that's
1: this is a third strike buddy you're going away. Yeah, ah oh, so good. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a black top, you know, it heats it up It gets a nice, you know, best raccoon i ever uh, had. Best, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that
0: had really good meals from roadkill.
1: But what would prompt this? Was this like a big thing? Are people eating roadkill? Well, it and does and actually.
0: I should have. Prosecuted? Uh, it does make me wonder which state was the first to do this. And it also uh-huh. does make me wonder if, I mean, can you imagine if you had to start a petition that's like, please let, you know, my my uncle out of jail. I don't, he's not, he's in here for eating roadkill. He, come on, Gavin Newsom, take some pity. The same <laughs> way people make appeal videos to the president to get pardoned, mm-hmm. president to get pardoned. It's like the same sort of, I, I don't know. I don't know what this started See, from. See, I'm
1: almost, I know a guy that used to like to collect roadkill because he liked the bones and I was was like praying that they would make collecting roadkill legal because this guy's bone pile uh-huh. was disgusting Wait, you were, pre- you were
0: praying they would make it illegal oh uh, yeah i was like dude, you gotta stop collecting these dead animals dude this is so nasty it's like no
1: no the everything's gonna get it's gonna be bones i'm just like oh
2: bro
0: i don't know it's always interesting to see That's sort of what the stigmas of things are mm-hmm. uh, where i was growing up I, there were people who would eat they, they would eat squirrel it was a Mm -hmm. people would shoot them and they would cook them and i had a friend who went on a date with a girl and he was eating with their family and that's what they served and we'll see i I mean if you walked into someone say you were dating someone uh and you walked in and you're like guess what hun or like or they're like yeah come on over i'm gonna make us a meal and they had got that meal from the road are you eating it i would be very questioning my own like ability
1: to judge a person anymore i'd be like wait this person's cooking me a roadkill meal. I need to reevaluate the kind of people I'm hanging out with and who I, <laughs> you know, it would be, I'd be like, wait, interesting
0: for sure. Uh, it's
1: so it's yeah. very, biz- it's very bizarre. Like what would prompt this law to be made? You know, like it's true. Is this a big subject? This, this might need more attention
0: than we're I'm gonna, giving it. We're going to have to do some <laughs> follow up reporting. We are going to go ahead and take a quick break. We will be right back. And Jesse is going to talk to us about Mexico. Mexico, Oaxaca. Uh, We'll be right back.
1: Vida la (laughs) chira, chira la vida.
0: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Mouths. Use them to speak and eat regularly. Vegan. Vegan. Alliance. Okie dokie, and we are back to talk about glorious Mexico with Jesse. We are now holding puppies in our hand who hopefully will remain calm and not tap on the ground. Over. Yeah, they'll be good. Maybe they'll sing. Evie, do you have anything to mm-hmm. say? I'm holding her up to the mic right now. Evie, do you have anything to say? Oops, she's licking. Did she's you hear l- the yeah, licking? licking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So we are back to talk about Jesse's time in Mexico. Jesse, is this mm-hmm. one of the most formative periods in your life? The, it
1: was one of the, the best, best times of my life. You know, one of the most just magical, um, random and just like off adventure, you know, like a yeah. real life adventure. So, you know? how old were you when you were there? I was, I think, twenty five to twenty six. Okay, I'm pretty sure. It's hard. Like, I tried. I was on. It was on the cusp of coming of coming from a trip from Japan, uh-huh. which I did my twin brother, which was a totally different style of trip. It was. I was there for three months, but it was like art madness, chaos, and then coming back to L A. and then leaving to Mexico to do a uh, culinary
0: class in Oaxaca at a school called Seasons of My Heart. So uh, you were in Oaxaca. I, I know I'm going to sound really stupid to most people out there. I, Oaxaca is a city, yes? Or it's, is it a region? It's a region. Is it both? I Yeah, it's both. I'm oh, pretty okay. sure. But you were actually in the city of Oaxaca. Yeah.
1: This, okay. Um, I was close. I live close to the center. It's a um a town called San Agustin Etla. So Etla is like the district, uh-huh. and then San Augustine is like, um, like the area or the pueblo. Give, I think it's the pueblo.
0: Give me an idea of like a flyover. If this is like if we're going over this region, how many people are living there? Is it like a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand? <laughs> it's a big city, but I honestly
1: like have no idea. I think it's more than that, maybe,
0: but it's um. Google says 255,000 thousand. Two hundred fifty five thousand. In, in the city of Oaxaca. In the city. Uh-huh. Yeah, because the region's huge.
1: The region is, like, I think coast to coast, you know, from, like, uh, the Pacific side mm-hmm. to
0: the Atlantic side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever side. You mean Gulf side, not uh-huh. the Atlantic. I'm like, what? Now, you said you ended up there randomly. How, like, in the discussion of random, was this... Plan, like, how far in advance did you plan to go there? Were you thinking, well, I'm gonna go there? And (laughs) I had you decided to go there within two weeks? No, no, to go
1: for two weeks. Oh, I was on a trip. Uh, my mom actually, she's so she'd been going to Oaxaca for uh, you know, on and off from the time I was a a small child. Uh And I was back from my trip from Japan, and she was like, in kind of a little bit like depression and also like unsure about what I was going to do because, you know, I'd moved to New York and left a bunch of stuff there. I needed to get back there, all this weird stuff, you know? Uh And she was like, how are you coming to do this, this culinary trip with me to Oaxaca? Like you'll love it. It's, it's has so many things that will remind you of,
0: you know, your childhood. So you went there without knowing you were going to go to school there. I just going to do a class. You were going to do a class. Yeah. Just a class. Okay. So I
1: went to this class and, um, Which was, the class was to to go to a market, Uh and we get ingredients from the market, and then we go back to the school, Uh and
0: we make the food,
2: Uh
0: and we eat it, we hang out, Uh and that was like the extent of the class. Uh So, when you were going to this class, does the class end up becoming this school? I mean, you go there, you go, this is excellent, I really like Mm -hmm. what I'm learning. On the spot, did you go... I'm going to stay. Did you end up no, sticking the, the around? No, the
1: school, I mean, the te- uh the chef asked me. The chef was like, because I, th- I was, um, you know, I've already been cooking for many years and was uh-huh. pretty good at it. So the uh, dishes were really simple for me. And uh-huh. I was able to complete mine. I was helping other people out and talking to them. And I knew some Spanish from working in kitchens. Uh-huh. And she was like, oh, my God, you're so great. Like, uh-huh. would you like to stay here and, like, work at the school? Uh-huh. And, you know, you could stay with my house. Because she knew my mother from previous classes. Uh-huh. So she was like, you'd stay at my house. You would work at the school. What was her name? Uh,
0: Susanna Trillings. Okay. Yeah. Susanna Trillings. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but when you went there, was this your first formal schooling with, within the culinary arts? Was this the first time cooking with like a teacher like that? I mean, did you learn in kitchens or did you learn at a school and well, then go went to the I to, to a culinary
1: school. I went to the Cordon Bleu. Oh, okay. Here in uh, Hollywood. Oh, okay. And then I worked in multiple restaurants from LA to New York. Uh-huh. And... um, and that was the first time I'd done a culinary class, like, okay. uh, just like, you know, that wasn't like a school. It uh-huh. is a school, but it was just a
0: class. It was a single class. So I, my assumption is, and I have, I don't know, I haven't been to culinary school. When you go to schools like Le Coron Blue, you're probably learning sort of everything. They're trying to make you a little more well-rounded. When you go mm. to a place like this in Oaxaca in Mexico, are they, are they s- teaching like a really sort of small niche? Like what? Yeah, it's very specific Oaxacan food. Well, so yeah, Oaxacan cuisine. Because Oaxacan food is all. It, and this is in the two week class with your mother, or is this in the whole of the schooling that followed? Oh no! So the class we did
1: was just a day. Oh so it was okay. A, it was like a, I think it was a two week vacation where we were like went to. It's called the Tule Tree, which is a famous location. Then Yerba Yerba Agua, which is this like petrified waterfall, uh-huh. which is spring into a mountain. And then we went to the school. And that was like the sum of our trip. And then to walk around the center of Oaxaca and check out some restaurants and, you know, see this amazing place, which was, which was for
0: me, absolutely incredible to just go there for the first time. In oh, it be, was the first time. So yeah. that's... I was wondering about that. It was had the first you, time I'd been to Oaxaca, yeah. You had been to Mexico as a child, though, right? I mean, Southern oh, California, yeah, Baja. it's very... Mm-hmm. But,
1: Ensenada, Tijuana, Cabo San Lucas,
0: San Quintín. Does, do any of those areas feel like Oaxaca? No. Very yeah. different. So tell me that. How? Well, the difference is Oaxaca
1: is is like a force of its own. Like the whole city is kind of on the same page. Huh. The whole... Like every go is like you're in Oaxaca and you feel that. So, Whereas Baja is like, you know, it's like in the desert. Well, There's it's like maybe nothing a out a more there.
0: touristy. Is that possible? And Oaxaca is less?
1: Well, no, not necessarily. It's just like what's going on? Oaxaca's got a lot more going on than Baja. Baja is like pretty sparse, okay. you know? It's like fishing and pretty poor. Uh-huh. The towns are really small. Uh-huh. And like, you know, some of the biggest towns like San Felipe, which is like a... Uh, an old veteran hangout, you know, where people from America go and like retire and stuff. And you, the food just really isn't that great. And, um, you know, it's just, it's like a little Baja town. It's dusty. It's hot. It Uh doesn't have that many people. And Oaxaca Oaxaca is is like, Oh, full, full of life. Tons of people. The cuisine is so much more advanced. Uh The produce, the networks that are coming in and out.
0: Oaxaca. You had told me, and this was a long time ago, so I could be getting part of this wrong, is that in Oaxaca, you're sort of, you said it's a, you're sort of surrounded by mountains. You're yeah, sort of, you're it's like in, a giant in, basin. Yeah, okay, uh-huh. so tell, tell me a little bit about that. So you have, it's like the mountain and then there's the forest and then you come mm-hmm. down and it comes down into the city and there are rivers. What, what is well, that like?
1: No, so when and you're in the center, the there's, there's essentially like a peninsula of mountain that comes out and then the center of Oaxaca is at the front of this peninsula. And then there's mountains that surround the entirety of like the greater region. Of, so it's gorgeous. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And there's, <sighs> so there's mountains to the left, mountains to the right, and there's mountains behind you. And you can just watch the clouds just kind of come in from the mountains and just kind of, Almost like a watering
0: system, just I was gonna say, yeah, do shower they, they, the land. Yeah, do they catch all the clouds and then the water pulls through?
1: Yeah, the clouds uh-huh. just come off the uh-huh. mountains and just ride on to the other mountains and come back through. So you get all this and you get this really amazing light and they call it God's light because uh-huh. of all the moisture in the air. It's so
0: clean. There's nothing mm-hmm. ever in the air sort of. And, yeah, you uh-huh. just
1: get these long rays of sunshine and these big nebulous Plump, juicy clouds, you know, but, but uh-huh. in turn at night, like you can hardly see, uh, stars, which is like kind of, I always say this wonderful days, the most amazing sunsets in day uh, daytime clouds, but at nighttime, it's kind of like, you know, there's a few stars not the most epic scenery at night, but
0: you know, you, you trade that out. Sure. Right. You choose one over
2: mm-hmm. the other.
1: Uh
0: huh. So um, you're going there, and you decide she asks you to stick around.
1: Yeah, she's just like, hey, you know, there's maybe a good opportunity for you to just like hang out here for as long as you want, and uh,
0: learn Oaxacan food, and work, and live at the school. So you, (laughs) you were working for the school. You were not taking classes at the school. I took a class, but then when I stayed, I was working there. Oh, so you were working. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I was a teacher. Oh man. Okay. But all right. So let's find out if this is true for you. I, as a teacher, and this is the sort of thing that people say that you learn more teaching than you do as a student was the same true for you? Did you learn more about the culinary arts by having to instruct people about it, by having to discuss it, talk about it publicly?
1: Yeah, you know, I think you learned a tremendous amount being a teacher because you really get to see how what you're saying uh-huh. translates uh-huh. with other people. And like, uh-huh. is you know, because you're, you're giving them information and they're digesting it and doing something with it and you really get to learn, like, are you on it? Are you,
0: is your information right? And it's your students that, let you, that tells you, uh-huh. It's not you. Were your students people who were coming in for small classes like that? Or were you teaching anybody, you know, for six months or three month quarters or things like that?
1: No, it was all, the longest class we had was a two week class, a chef intensive, but Uh we had all different levels of like, we had people coming in from like Texas, Arizona or um, other parts of Mexico who were just, you know, weren't, you weren't chefs, Mm -hmm. weren't, you know, just there to have a good time, eat some good food, have a nice experience. And then we had people that like, came from new york and um la and san francisco and actually were big time chefs and uh, i actually hooked up with a couple of them and are still friends with a couple and um we were teaching them like a much like the mole class the seven moles of oaxaca was the chef
0: intensive the seven moles so is that is that how many moles there are in oaxaca for people who don't know moles are sort of the famous cuisine dish from oaxaca I, I would say,
1: right? Yeah. Okay. Um, mole is yeah, the quintessential. Yeah. The mole Negro would be the most, I think, the quintessential mole of Oaxaca. that okay. Everyone is like, that's the one. Are there Gotta really try.
0: only seven of them, though? Oh, no. There's like an
1: infinite amount of moles, really. Do you, but like the seven of Oaxaca is, let's see if I can remember it. Um, Mandil Mancheles, Coloradito, um, Amarillo, Estofalo, um Mule Negro, um Chichilo. uh let's see. There's a couple other I was but gonna say yeah. I think that's I think that's six. That's <laughs> six. It's like that one not of, bad. Yeah, I if I wrote it down I could go uh-huh. through and I right. like uh-huh. do the elimination, but
0: it's you know, And each one is very different, and also different times, you know. Well, let's give somebody like who has no, who's never had mole. I mean, Mm. I I I hadn't had mole before I came to Los Angeles. So if I just for someone at home, it's a chocolate. No, no, no. No. Okay, talk us through it, yeah, Yeah, because I'm a rookie here.
1: Help me out. Uh, Only uh, mole negro has, I think maybe Colorito has a little bit of chocolate in it, but it's more of a chili base. There's nuts, there's bread, Uh there's herbs, there's stock, Uh there's, um,
0: seeds. Uh And it's, it's typically sort of like a thicker sauce. Yes. It's 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 put over the top mm -hmm. of dishes, put into dishes. It's usually, um,
1: it's usually like You'll cook chicken in the mole. Mm, okay. And then that'll be served with like rice uh-huh. or maybe a little bit like amarillo uh-huh. is usually served with some vegetables uh-huh. and you'll get some like nice corn tortillas to go with it. But you're always but cooking it in it or is is no, that the most traditional very, use of it? Well, sometimes you just have the mole, you know, uh-huh. and then you can, like you can make mole negro like tamales mm-hmm. and, um. But generally, it's about the sauce. It's just about the mole. And you will get a little bit of rice on the side, uh-huh. and you just eat the mole with a spoon. And maybe there's a little piece of chicken inside of it, and you have some corn tortillas. But it's very much about the mole.
2: Uh-huh.
0: So if, thinner, if you were making one of the more traditional ones, is this mm-hmm. a long process? It can be a very long process, yeah. What's very long mean, though, in the culinary world? Does that mean it, weeks, months, days, no, like three hours? Days,
1: but hours, like the, the amount of intensity uh-huh. of like if you were make it by hand, uh-huh. a mole negro can take like three days,
0: is essentially. Does that actually make it better?
1: Making it by hand,
0: well, taking three days to make a mole.
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, because you're, you're cooking every. Oh, everything over like wood fires on a komal. Uh-huh. You're grinding things by hand with like a matate, which is like, like a mortar and pestle, but the uh, not the bowl version, like
0: sure. the table version. Well, you so you and I went out and in the discussion of time and how time affects it, you and I went out and a place that will remain nameless but had mole, we had, and you tasted it and you said if they had given this just a little more time, X, Y, and Z right. cooking, mm-hmm. it would lose,
1: I think you said it's bitterness? No, the... Uh, a spiciness in the back of the throat. Okay. So moles when they're, when they haven't been cooked long enough, they make the back of your to- uh, throat tickle. Like makes you want to go ah, 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 like that, you know, uh-huh. I know it's, a, but it's a very particular feel. Uh-huh. And that is, comes from just not cooking it long enough. Uh-huh. It, you know, the, the spices just break down a little more. It uh-huh. becomes more on the, the spice becomes more on the top of the tongue rather uh-huh. than the back of the throat. Uh-huh. And yeah, like, but it's one of those things that you, it's a thick, it's a thick paste sauce. So when you're cooking it for a long time, you can't let it sit. You have to stir it because the bottom will burn, uh-huh. you know, and it will change the flavor. Like as you, cause it's all nuts and things like that. Uh-huh. When nuts burn, they immediately get terrible flavor and they will ruin the entire uh, batch. Same with chilies. Chilies get extremely bitter and nuts get extremely bitter. Uh-huh. All these things get extremely Uh, Bitter and bad tasting when they're when they burn. So you have to keep spinning it and uh, like so,
0: you're actually like coming in every five minutes, stirring the pot, sort of thing. Just not even leaving it alone, just staying there with it for like forty five minutes. But if you prepare it for prepare it for three days, you can't stand there for three well, days. Most
1: of the days, most of the days is about uh is oh, about okay. like grinding oh, down. Okay. You toasting. actually just mean the cooking
0: itself. Yeah. I was like, man, I mean, why don't people compare making mole to marathons? Then wouldn't yeah. that be great? Like, <laughs> oh, no, you can't go see Jesse. He's doing the mole, and he's it's literally uh, just you standing over and over for uh, hours. Uh, just, uh, just, I mean, mm-hmm. it would become meditative. You can't lie about mm-hmm. that there is a beauty in that sort of repetition
1: oh yeah. yeah and like you know the fat like the the you put pig lard in it and that will rise it to gets a nice sheen. there's these looks that a really nice mole gets and you have to sit there with it and watch it change
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um but yeah like I've made mole like a 45 minute mole at a Mexican restaurant I worked at and it tasted good but you know there's these distinct qualities like the itching the back of the throat mm-hmm. and just the depth of flavor that you really don't get it unless you
0: do it the long way, you know? Mm. Which is, is you know, why you do it the long way, I guess. So, in mm-hmm. these classes where you would teach the seven different versions of it... hmm We're getting a little feedback right there. Do you hear it? hmm I don't know. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back and try to fix this. Hey, I'm here to talk
1: to you about MeUndies. MeUndies are a delicacy around my house. My dog eats them because I got that good good.
0: This podcast is brought to you by An Opportune Barking. And we are back. Okay, so Jesse has been talking to us about Mexico. You are there and you're teaching these courses, the seven moles of Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. So um what was what was like a what's a mole that maybe you made that people don't think about being really a mole? What was like your favorite one that you made? Uh pepillon. Pepillon. So yeah. talk to me about that.
1: Pepillon is a it's a pumpkin
0: seed mole. Uh-huh.
1: And what it so it's kind of reverse as far as the chilies to nut ratio uh-huh. isn't a typical mole. So uh-huh. typically it would be like three quarters chilies and um, you know things like that, like chilies and spices and uh-huh. stuff, and then much less than, and then only really a couple like maybe pecans or walnuts or almonds or things like that, sesame seeds, uh-huh. and that'd be about a third of it. Uh-huh. Whereas a pepián is three quarters of it's all like sesame. There's most of it's pumpkin seed that's Mm -hmm. been toasted and ground. Mm -hmm. And then there's some sesame seed and chicken stock and a little bit of chilies in it. And, um, it's been a long time since I've made it, but that's typically that's around this. And there might be even like a piece of platano Mm -hmm. in it. I think that you roast and cook in the mole, but pepillon is, it's a, it's green. It's got black specks in it from the roasted, uh, pepitas, Mm -hmm. the pumpkin seeds. Mm -hmm. And it's just absolutely delicious. And it is a mole. And uh-huh. I think some people will be like, oh, no, it's not mole, it's pepion. But it's a mole. It's very thick. What actually makes a mole a mole to you? To, it's the consistency and the, the aspect of chilies and nuts and <laughs> this, uh, you know, with chicken and rice like this you know this sauce that's like a meal in itself it's uh-huh. not it's the focal point uh-huh. the chicken's not the focal point uh-huh. the chicken's more of the sauce
0: on uh-huh. a mole than the sauces you, you sure? know well, i mean a lot of yeah i feel like a lot of culture sort of that's what food. that's
1: what like makes a mole and there's there's other ones too there's um another one that has it's a what is it called it has a poblano has a pomegranate seeds and some it's a walnut sauce uh-huh. And that's another one that's like, it's a mole, but it's
0: not really a mole. Are any of these ones particularly seasonal? Now, you said, I mean, you had a great climate for Yeah, they for are growth. seasonal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were ones that, I mean, was there one well, that mole you can Mole Negro only... is seasonal.
1: Mole oh, okay. Negro, which is like, they will sell it all year long because of the tourists. You're sure. But it really is for Day of the Dead. It's a Day of the Dead mole. Oh. Yeah. And it's, uh, they make the tamales. Uh-huh. Traditionally, I think the tamales were the most, um, was the most, made they make it in banana leaves Hmm. so it's a very nice soft tamale with a black sauce and it's a yeah it's made during november for the day of the Dead festival
0: wow okay are there well i mean were there other ones that were connected with festivals or there are i think most
1: most food in oaxaca is kind of seasonal okay you know like you're not going to get um you're not going to get the abundance of all year long. Sure. I think that now with more tourism that you're starting to see like it available more
0: all year long. Well, speaking of the all year long, mm-hmm. do you ever go to stores and like, it's, is there a good mole that you can find in a store? Do things Pure? like here? Yeah. I mean, do they
1: hold? Can no. You, well, no. you can find the paste and then you'd re like reanimate them with water. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, but I, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that's kind of like going to Japan and eating sushi and coming back here or eating ramen and then coming back here. It's like, is there good ramen? Is there good mole? It's uh-huh. like kind of no is the short answer, <laughs> you know, uh, like even places true. like Galagetza that is a Oaxacan owned and um, ran restaurant. I've never eaten there, but general consensus of what I've you know gathered is that it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think it's also a very typical mole. It's probably a coloradito mole. Well, they're also,
0: I mean, they mm-hmm. they could be serving multiple audiences, which is yeah. always tricky. It's hard to sort of figure out that bridge. And I think a lot of restaurants that, I mean, uh, I, I'm obviously limited knowledge on certain things like this, but they're... So a lot of these restaurants that have existed since the 70s, they may maybe cater to a different clientele. And now I think we're the there's a certain demographic where I think we now are looking for an authenticity in food yeah. that might mm-hmm. sort of shift a lot of these recipes. They might start producing things that they maybe are maybe less appealing, but because of that, they're more interesting. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. It's a, it, you walk know, is one of those places that like the food that's being made there is be made at its best because it's contained within its own region well i was gonna say it's from the region a lot of those things are actually grown there so you you can't get all the ingredients you can't get by de oaxaca Chile de agua and um a lot of these ingredients that Mm -hmm. are just abundant in oaxaca sure
0: well and you were talking about that so in these Mm -hmm. markets you told me that there were certain things that maybe would really only be for sale in those markets for a few weeks span you know what i mean they would pop up and grow so what were some of those examples again
1: Oh, well, there's some like one of the most interesting was like the
0: Radish Festival. And I think that's tell me about the Radish Festival, because everyone on earth needs to fly somewhere for radishes for a festival. (laughs) I mean, isn't that like I think the thing that's wonderful about if. If you ever, if someone was like, "Yeah, there's a radish festival mm-hmm. in Mexico," no one's gonna travel. So what's travel to see that? Or I think very rarely would someone yeah. travel to see something like that. So that thing will always remain, for the most part, authentic. Uh-huh. They're not gonna shift it and build it around tourists, and which is like kind of the beauty of it. It's almost not interesting enough to register as a like a must-see. Well, it's just it's but like it is.
1: it's unknown. Well, I was gonna and say, and this was one of the things that really kind of like, I was just like, wait. Hold on. (laughs) What? So it was like this radish festival and you know, you eat radishes all year, but this is like, I, you know, it's one of those things that I only got to experience it for a, like, it was almost like a dream. It was so short lived Uh and gone. What's short lived mean? Does that mean a week? No, it's like a weekend. Okay. And it's like a couple days or something. And it's like, Oh, the radish. And there's a few dishes that are only served at that particular time. Uh They make like little paper mache things. And there's like this little, like, it's almost like an underground festival. It like celebrates like the little meager yeah, radish. You were
0: in the club. Like there was hard techno playing. You yeah,
1: were like, that. You hit me with that radish. <laughs> like bring me that dip. But you, and then it's gone. And then you're like, wow, when do you get to try that amazing radish dish again? And you're like, oh, next year, like at this time. And you're Ooh. like, well, so wait. What,
0: what part of the year is that in?
1: I think it's, it's sometime in summer. I'm pretty sure like okay. early summer or late summer, you know, my time distortion. I was, you know, there's so much mezcal in Oaxaca, and you do <laughs> so many things, and like your senses are uh-huh. overloaded. Uh-huh. It's
0: like my time perspective is all effed up. I, <laughs> I, uh, I can't imagine that you wouldn't have a great calendar in your head from that period. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man.
1: But then another one, uh, like this is another fascinating, fascinating um, experience uh-huh. of this, like, time sensitive culinary uh-huh. wonder. Tell me more. The summer rains. Like when they first come, they make all these gigantic ants that you've never seen before. I didn't even know they live beneath your feet. Uh-huh. Come out uh-huh. and they're everywhere. Oh, no. and, with, and they're oh, gone no. within within like two hours because everyone just comes out with baskets, collects oh, no. the shit out of them, pulls all their legs off. And then for the next week, you have this amazing ant salsa oh, God. that has like the most incredible uh, flavor. And you're, uh, and you're like, wait. I want more. And he's like, Oh, gotta wait until next year. Cause, cause these, ants
0: don't have a great shelf life. They, they're they
1: gone. They're uh-huh. eaten all like it's, it's like the, the oxygen of the rainforest. Yeah. There's a lot and they, it doesn't leave the Amazon, Wow, you okay.
0: know? All right. Ant festival. It's amazing. Radish yeah. festival.
1: Um, <laughs> Are like like all the other, mushrooms, like oh the yeah, tell me about the, the mushrooms. mushrooms, the, so I live where I lived in San Agustin, Etla is in the mountains behind the center uh-huh. and it's, and it's pretty high up. And so in Oaxaca, one of the really interesting things about it is that because of the, the amount of moisture in the air, depending on where the sun is and the mountains are, we'll have completely like different demographic of what kind of plants there'd be like desert. And then on this side of the mountain, there's like coffee trees and Mm -hmm. banana, you know, it's a jungle. So if you just go up the mountain to a certain height, all of a sudden mushrooms would just be everywhere. Porcini, uh, these little like uh, blue mushrooms that you can eat all these just bizarre and then those big red ones that like they have white spots on top they'll kill you and then if they don't they're totally edible
0: so the mario mushrooms the mario mushrooms L- little,
1: yeah little toad oh yeah uh-huh. that's exactly what it is uh-huh. you know and but during that time period and there is more kinds of
0: mushrooms than you could ever imagine so were you foraging did you go out i did do a little bit of foraging you told me that what i um i I mean, does not surprise me. But you're, you know, a white boy in Oaxaca. You're going out foraging. You told me that you had to be a little careful about that oh, whenever you went out careful, there, because yeah. it's like, who knows what turf this is? Somebody's territory. Somebody's home. This is where they live. Or if this more is more just, just like,
1: you might eat a mushroom that'll kill you. It's is really what you got to be careful. Oh, of. but
0: I thought you said you had to be careful going out too far into the like the oh. land. That you were a little. You had to just be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, you don't want to venture like too far off the beaten path Uh, like you know in anywhere in mexico really so was foraging different there than it might be here if you were doing it somewhere out in the states in what sense well just uh how you would go how you would prepare what you would look for i don't know i mean was it more seasonal did anything change like that
1: um well the well our mushroom season is at the is in like springtime Mm. And their mushroom season is summertime, like end of
0: summer. Was there a particular mushroom that was like known in the region that you were looking for when you would go?
1: Well, there was one in San Jose del Pacifico called the rumbe, which uh-huh. is a psychedelic mushroom, <laughs> and you can forage for them. Uh-huh. And they're black, uh-huh. so you can't really mistake them for anything. They
0: don't look like anything else. They don't look like
1: much else. There's usually there are mimic mushrooms, but as far as I knew about, I didn't find any. I think. The, the locals get know where to go, get everything get uh-huh. before sure. anyone else does. But you know, during that time, you can go and eat like these amazing quesadillas with you know mushroom quesadillas and mm-hmm. soups with mushrooms. And all of it's like all of a sudden there's mushrooms everywhere and mm-hmm. all these different varieties, mm-hmm. really interesting mushrooms,
2: uh-huh.
1: and um, some mushrooms that may be questionable. Like you sure. don't really know, you know, but. It, it's it's amazing to just have it just kind of pop up, and it's there. And you you ask questions, and your answers are just like it's just not really what you want. It's what does that mean? Like, what kind of mushroom is this? And they, like, you can only get one of two answers: like, ongo or championis. And championes is when it has a cap and a stem, and an ongo is a fungus mushroom that has kind of like whatever uh-huh. shape. And they, it, it's really hard to get more information than that. It's uh-huh. like um. What was I going to say? There's another thing that's like that there. Oh, uh, well, anyways, we'll get back to that. <laughs> uh,
0: so you had told me while you were out there that you 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 went you well. So I I had messed that up. I had thought you were in school, but you were teaching school. Yeah, teaching school. You told school. me that you were also involved with a restaurant while you were there. So mm-hmm. there's different things, right? The school I would assume was mostly for tourists, yeah, people coming through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, tourists. Uh-huh. You would mm-hmm. say that comprises maybe Definitely. like three quarters of the class people. I, the I'd classes? say they were all people not from Oaxaca. Oh, okay. It was yeah. almost hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So tourists coming through. But when but you But not served, just from the states, also from Mexico or South course, America sure. and stuff. Yeah. When whenever you were serving food in a restaurant, that clientele is I mean gonna be a mixture probably a little bit more.
1: Oh it was all locals. Oh okay. Oh yeah. No, because we were this is near the Pueblo where I was living at. Uh-huh. So I was like coming home from the school one day when I first started working there. Uh-huh. And this little tiny place was open. There's some young people there, and uh, I kept, popped my head and I was like, "Hey, uh, Tina, cervezas? You know, do you have beer?" Uh-huh. And then, uh, "Oh, no, 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 no cervezas." I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, no problem." And I started leaving, and then and then the guy, well, the guys was like, "Hey, hey, gringo, uh, quieres mezcal?" And I was like, "Oh, mezcal, yes." Yeah. So then we started drinking, and they have these like little mezcal cups that are. I forget what they're made out of but it's this, a certain like little plant that they make their mescal cups out of that have these little it's all traditional it's a plant cup yeah it's a plant cup
0: a plant cup what a and um thing. it looks almost like a passion fruit shell but I forget the actual um uh-huh. What it it actually is. Do they use it in the mezcal making? Do they use it to flavor or tinge the mezcal in some capacity? I
1: don't think so. Uh I think they just use it for cups. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. All right. Yeah. It's cool. it probably
1: grows nearby and, you know, they're, they're probably just like, hey, this would make a great cup. Let's hit it. And, you know, like. King's cup Because all the best mezcal is made out in the countryside by like, you know, just people like living in very meager, um living situations they're not these big operations Uh you know it's like a donkey a little like a clay still, Uh and wood fires Mm. and it's like generational
0: did you ever go see those operations oh yeah the
1: the palenques yeah i went to several palenques and
0: people wouldn't you had to be invited you had to know someone (laughs) just
1: drive up you know the best blink is because there's like a donkey standing out in front of it and there's usually a table with like two bottles like, like just very like very st- a strange sight. It's like it'll be a little handwritten sign that says mezcal or palenque, uh-huh. and then there'll be a little table that just has like two bottles and maybe a couple of little cups, and there'll be like a couple of passed out dudes just like sleeping <laughs> underneath like a. That was the sign tube. that it and was there and that's good. like this is a good. This is the, a good spot. Yeah, check
0: it out. This shit hits. And there's we got too, too much two stuff dudes going on by the side yeah. of the road. Let's go in here.
1: Yep. And there's too much stuff going on. You go there and they're like trying to sell you
0: like blue mezcal and all these like flavored crema stuff but, but and you said a word earlier i didn't know you said palinka palinka yeah palinka yeah okay so what is palinka a blink is like a mezcal hut a mezcal hut yeah So it's a place where you would or go you to place get you get fight mescal. chickens they're both palinkas yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah tomato tomato no different really there, <laughs> no, there was, yeah uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. so you so you went to these places i mean uh, are most of your operations sort of the same whenever you would go in and you'd you go in and you'd have mezcal i mean would you just Go in and try it. Was there one that was Usually sort of a legendary the, Mezcal around that area? Well, there was a spot called El Situ
1: um, in the center. And this guy, um, he became a pretty good friend of mine while I was there. And I didn't realize how like badass this dude is. I totally forgot. <laughs> but I, how badass this guy is because I've actually met Mezcal vendors here. And they're like, oh, you know that dude? He's like the coolest because he goes all over Oaxaca. And he finds these like makers and he buys it Totally ethically
0: uh, he, he buys them out Buys it And buys then they'll up. send it uh-huh. mm-hmm.
1: But he's not going in there Like a lot of these other people Are doing And like Trying to set up A larger operation Right 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 Trying to buy out Their property out And then yeah the Push pe- them out right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which happens a lot Well I you was going to say
0: I don't think people I, That's something That's especially prevalent I, As far as I've been told There have been some articles Written about Sort of Mezcal, Mezcal especially Oh yeah Right not Not necessarily tequila But Mezcal mm-hmm. especially And Well I think, this
1: is the problem With Mezcal So
0: Mezcal Unlike tequila Is is um, a huge
1: variety of maguey, whereas tequila is only blue maguey, hmm. right? So, and uh, tequila doesn't have the the same guidelines that mezcal does. Mezcal has to be made with a seven minimum
0: seven year old plant. Right. And it has to be made there. It's has actually made it's, it's just like champagne. Yeah. Champagne as opposed to sparkling wine it has be to be made, made in the Champagne region of Mexico, whereas Mescal you have to have it from the plant from that region. Right. And mm-hmm.
1: it's it's all clear. Mm-hmm. It's gets all of its smoke from fire and it's not being uh distilled with modern distilleries, you know, with steel and all that shit. Huh. Copper or whatever. Uh-huh they might use copper i don't know but they you know they have their big clay steels they make the huge pit they dig a huge pit they burn all the piñas which is the the bulb of the of the mcgay plant mm-hmm. and then they mash it all down with a with a wheel and, and so it has a lot of the plant matter still in it and it's a, just has a lot more um just a lot more like involved than mm-hmm. i think tequila is and you see that in the flavor and the the and also the variety uh-huh. of mezcal.
0: So tell me about this man in the sort of center of the city that you met. How did oh, you meet this, him?
1: So I well the the, the teacher the the, uh, the chef that I worked with, uh-huh. Susanna Trillings, uh-huh. she she like knew everyone. She's been there since the seventies. Uh-huh. You know she's uh-huh. badass, uh-huh. and so she introduced me. We went there to drink mezcal, and it was you know. All the bottles in this place are just hand labeled. Has the region, has the number, Jesus, has the and it has the Palenque name right. on it, you know, and and the kind of M- maguey that it uses because there's like one hundred and twenty different kinds of maguey that, be, that are used in mezcal, what? and the only thing we ever see is like espadine,
0: maybe a quiche, um, tobala. Is there a reason? Is that because one of them is easier to cultivate and the other ones are a little more finicky?
1: Well, espadine is the can be harvested the youngest, but it's also like the bottom shelf mescal uh-huh. you know? And then the Hoven, Hoven just means young. So it means that you're just having a super young mezcal. And that's what you see all the time because sure.
0: I mean, it's easier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's
1: easier. And, and, uh, but yeah, like, and then other, um, magueys, like haven't been cultivated. Like they didn't, I don't know if they don't know how to, or if it, what was up with them, but there's some, there's like a whole bunch of McGay plants that are like the, they, They'll be like, oh, this is a 22-year-old plant, you know? Like, what? this plant took 20... Yeah. This one that starts with an R. I forget the name of it. but
2: uh-huh.
1: And it has really thin, long um, leaves, but the bulb is very small on uh-huh. it, uh-huh. you know? And it took 22 years to get to this small bulb, and then they'll make them a scallop that, and... It's and it's uh, it's amazing to see the difference in like a home like a young plant versus it's like
0: the distill process is the same uh-huh. it's just the plant's age so if you different. walked into this man's shop in the city of the center mm-hmm. or center of the city um, what I mean what's that like does he sort of talk you through this did you learn this through going to those farms did Mm -hmm. he sort of say like sample this here's the difference can you taste that i mean what's the sort of um when you go to his
1: place what's wonderful about these like special mescal place it's tiny and there's like a tree inside it's really (laughs) of course tiny tree Uh and and like right when you go inside one of the first signs that says uh in spanish but it says um like we do not drink for uh What's the word? It's so great when you're. Oh my God! What does it say? Profane. We do not drink to be profane. You know, like to be. If you start getting like they always say, a young mezcal make you act like a child, and an old mezcal make you act old and wise. Uh. You know, so we do not drink to get like belligerent. And Uh. the the bar, it's not a bar. You go, it's a it's a place of discussion. Huh. You know it's treated as such too, and there's another place I went to that was a like a Moscow library where you and so you go to these places, you talk about Moscow, you learn about Mezcal. you don't go there to talk about work and your stupid day uh-huh. and your girlfriend or whatever
0: uh, there's a real respect for there's this. there's a real
1: respect for it and so it's, it's a it's a it's a place of knowledge, it's a place to learn. So there's a Mezcal there's a, library? Yeah, there's another place. And yeah, you can't even... It's we're reservation only. Okay. And I actually got Did to try... You get a reservation? Yeah, I got okay. to go into there. And I got to try some very interesting Mezcals. I got to try one Mezcal, which is probably the most interesting. It was cured in a leather bag. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it had a leather flavor to so it. So it's breathing too. Yeah, yeah and uh-huh. it loses like, you lose a lot of the product and sure. inevitably make it. but
0: it's not sealed. And they
1: have, you know... And they will teach you all these different uh, signals of like a good mescal. Like one, one real simple good mes- uh, signal of a good mescal is if you shake the bottle, the amount of foam and the duration in which it lasts... Is an indication of its
0: quality. Oh, it's sort of like when people spin wine in the glass and they talk about, like, with red wine, its legs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Okay, so wait, so talk to me about. So, what would make it good? If it's how much really fun call were those we looking at? It's
1: pearls. Okay.
0: The more, the bigger, the better. The if bigger, you the have better. big bubbles that
1: last for like 30 seconds, there. that's a great mescal. Okay. And a lot of mescals you'll see, if you go in and you shake, they'll just dissipate almost instantly and the sure. bubbles would be tiny. Uh-huh. So, the it's an this is an indication of the plant matter in
0: the product. Is it offensive if I'm in a shop like that and I'm going to buy a nice bottle of mezcal if I go shake it? You just shake it. I can it, just shake it. They oh, won't, yeah. No, no. It's, it's a, not like me sort of saying to them, I don't trust you, you know?
1: No, it's a sign that you know your shit. You know your shit. <laughs> yeah, you know your shit. Interesting. Yeah. Because that's like, that's one of the first things you should do. Okay. It was just in- <laughs> so this is how bizarre mezcal is. Uh-huh. I bought a bottle and brought it back. And I paid a lot of money for it called, I think, Alipus. Alipus is a, a Mescal brand. Really nice, uh-huh. clean. Uh-huh. And I was buying this Mescal from these guys in the mountains for 60 pesos for a liter. Uh-huh. And they would bring it down in a gasoline container and pour it into like a Pepsi bottle for me. Uh-huh. And 60 pesos, I was like, $4? Well, uh-huh. You know, for a whole liter of mezcal. Uh-huh. Sure. And this shit was battery acid strong. I mean, it was probably like 65% <laughs> alcohol, which is good. I, like they, they say that stronger than mezcal, but I don't know if it's just cause you get drunker, but mescal should never be 40%. They should always be like closer to 50 or maybe even 60%
0: alcohol. Percent. You do you're not proof. So yeah. Right. So you actually have yeah, percent. percent. Wow.
1: And, um, so I was getting this one and I always thought it was like bottom of the barrel, but then I actually took it and we, to this place and we discovered, we shook it and it had like the most insane purling going on and these people are like this is actually really really good Moscow where are you getting this from I'm like these two joint guys with a gasoline container yeah (laughs) I found them for 60 pesos a liter Uh
0: so it's like you don't know where the good stuff where is. Where the come good stuff from. is, it could literally be hiding in a gasoline container. Do, so, do you think of like moonshine as almost the Mexican equivalent to America's moonshine?
1: Yeah, I see. What you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It's something yeah, like that. Where like you never like know where it's going to be good. Like Mescal, it could come Hoccan. out of anywhere. Yeah, People. It can, could give you lead poisoning, or right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Like> it, they <laughs> might
0: have cut it with jet fuel. Who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. But the McGay plant, they've done studies on it, and it and. Um, you know, it cleans arteries. There's, it's one of the only alcohols that's I'm raising proven my to have, right now.
0: um, to have like a, a medicinal factor proven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It out. P, I think people should, I, every time people are like, map. guess what? Yeah, alcohol is good for you. I'm always like, okay. Well, it's not the alcohol, uh-huh. it's the plant matter. Part. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's not the alcohol that's part. That's interesting. So only. if they're making this mezcal, is there, um, is there like a, a leftover part of the the plant that gets used for something else? Do you like, yeah, can you have a dish that sort of pairs bit, with it from it?
1: Well, no, you can't eat it, but you can make like, um, it eventually, it, it looks kind of like peat moss when it's done. It's like, sh- or coconut hair, uh-huh. you know, like coconut shavings. Uh-huh. So you can use it to make like these people are making art or like plant boxes and drainage to kind of, you know, to aerate soil uh-huh. and things like that. Oh, interesting. So there is uses for it. It's not like a a culinary use.
0: I see. Okay. We're going to take a real quick break. We will be right back and Uh, uh, we'll talk more about Mexico and the mezcal and the things that they're putting to aerate the soil. Yes. Yes. Okay. Be right back.
2: This podcast is proudly
1: brought to you by pants. You got to wear them. I mean, sometimes.
2: Sometimes.
0: topo for burping this podcast is proudly brought to you by coasters they're cool don't leave rings
2: Alliance. all
0: right so we're back so jesse you're talking about the things that they're using in this soil how you're living there um you ended up staying there for you said a year a little over a year Look, um, just under a year. Just under a yeah. year. Okay, so in this experience you have, right, it, You're the more time you spend there, the more you start to understand what it's like to live there, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've lived in Los Angeles now for, I came here in '07. it's now 2019. I've been here 12 years now, and I still, I, I constantly feel like I don't know the city. There are still things to discover in that year you had there. How familiar do you think you got with Oaxaca?
1: Oh, man, I feel pretty pretty close to it now you, you do? know yeah
0: cuz there was what, what what year was this sorry i don't remember if i asked that man was that like 2009 6 6 okay. 2006
1: i think N- i think so
0: you wouldn't have been 25 in 2006 oh well, no, yeah you you know, my close. age
1: follows the years so it's really easy for me oh, right, yeah 20, right. oh, 2005 no, you're right. i was 25 2006
0: 26 no you mean 2015
1: That's what I meant. Yeah. 2015. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. So you said you you ended up feeling pretty close to me. Oh, yeah,
0: man. So uh, as you started to live there, the sort of rhythms of life, how Mm. did you, um, what, what was it like acclimating for you? Were there parts of it where you thought, you know, oh, this is entirely new to me. It's not in any way like how I've grown up or what my life has been like. What was that? What was the first thing that you sort of noticed?
1: Well, hmm. I think one of the first things I noticed was just the food, right? Uh-huh. And how, how abundant it's just everywhere and how much it means to that culture, you know? Uh-huh. And like getting used to just like eating on the streets and and watching it change. Is, and, is it, sorry, go ahead. And just watching it change and like um, and experiencing this seasonal... Food of like you know different dishes. Uh-huh. What's in the market? Mm-hmm. What people are eating, and it's always a huge topic of conversation.
0: Well, there. so in those discussions, you said eating mm-hmm. on the street. Were most of your experiences with food on the street? I mean, I, I would assume there are you know restaurants where you can go and sit down and have yeah, dinner. Is uh-huh. that? You I doing ate at that? some
1: of the nicer restaurants and like that were you know written up on Yelp and uh-huh. stuff like must go. And honestly, like those. That's not where the magic's at, how,
0: whatsoever. How do restaurants differ from street food? Obviously, with street food, there's they have a limited amount of things that they can have. Mm-hmm. At that, if you go to a cart or something like that, they might be able to sell two or three different things. You go to a restaurant, they sell many. But mm-hmm. were there was there any sort of anything else that distinguish, distinguished the two of them? You said you preferred street food.
1: Yeah, or like or just like a little cantina food, like little the little places, you know, the, the more down to earth because that's the food that the people the people are really eating. Uh-huh. And all that other stuff is for the tourists, you know. So
0: would you could you sort of are there a few that you can still remember the name of that you would recommend down there? Oh no! No, the places I, like I really liked had names. No, that I knew oh, of. Man, of course, right? The <laughs> yeah, best the yeah. best mezcal you ever had was from someone who was bottling uh, it up on yeah, the side of a mountain. And right? that's
1: kind of the the magic of it is that there is no guidebook to to the real magic that you can experience. Like all the stuff that we went as a, as tourists when I first got there, mm-hmm. were soon just demolished by you know by what people that lived there showed me. You know, like for instance. So, um, the first mole negro I had was at this restaurant called Zandunga and it's a really nice restaurant, really pretty. And it's, um, a very modern restaurant, hmm. you know, and the food is good. I had a mole negro there and it was nice and it was cool. And I, you know, and I was like, this is, this is, this is good. This is all right. You uh-huh. know, but I paid like $24 for uh-huh. it uh-huh. and like, that's cool. Like I didn't mind, it's not that much money, but then you can go to a place like the just down the street, the um, Juarez market, The I think it's the 18th of November market, what uh-huh. they call it, or 5th of November, I can't quite remember. But um, And you can get Molinigo there for like 60 pesos, mm. for like $4 for a plate, and it's so much better. Uh-huh. It's like just miles, leaps and bounds, the flavor, the the taste, and also the authenticity of it, you know?
0: If people were to go... Mm And they were you were trying to make them sort of basic recommendations. I mean, my assumption is you said that they love their produce and they're, I mean, essentially ultra seasonal. Mm -hmm. Is that what you would say is go there and eat whatever is in season? I would say I would say abandon all plans to
1: follow your guidebook Uh and head to the Abastos market where the collectivos meet. What's
0: Abastos?
1: Abastos is the the centro de Abastos market. It's the, the main market. It's of the market. Uh-huh. It's the market where the tourists do not go because it's too fucking crazy. Huh. You know, there's like one end is like where the like the red light district is. And uh-huh. the other sides of the collectibles is like the taxi drivers all hang out and uh-huh. meet up. And then there's like it's surrounded by all these like electronic shops and it's fucking crazy. There's buses and there's dogs and there's like, you know, like no bathrooms anywhere that you can find. And you just like look at everything with a skeptical eye and you, really have no idea how to navigate this thing. And you don't even realize that it's like entering David Bowie's labyrinth, that it yeah. only gets deeper and bigger the further, like the more you go in.
0: Wait, so how big is this? Give me like an, is it like a football field? Like what are we talking about? Bigger? It's a couple of football fields.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, and it's a, uh, and it's covered with tents and has different areas. Uh-huh. Is like, it always the same? If you walk in, no, will you always, oh, it
0: changes every well, time. It
1: changes. Yeah. It, it, not every time. Like there's our places, but it will change Like and also What's available Like for instance There's a night market there mm-hmm. And the flower market's at night mm. And there's a whole section of food Like the best esquite Which is a corn dish That's like corn cooked in liquid With chili lime And some cotija cheese added to it And it's absolutely incredible But the best cotija, the best esquite I had Was at the, the flower market In the middle mm. of night And you know And it's by the garlic guy uh-huh. Who is one of the My favorite scenes, I gotta tell you this. The garlic guy was... I never bought garlic from I only would see him, but he would sit there eating the largest piece of bread, like pandose you've ever seen, that was like the size of a football. And he he always had a tiny cup of coffee, and he was a massive man Uh that's sitting on the tiniest little chair. Uh And he would just be, every time I'd see him just talking and talking and talking away Uh to a guy who was asleep. (laughs) And he was just surrounded with garlic. It was like one of the most, and I'd I'd see him all the time. I'd go there to go get produce. I'd just see him just talking and talking to this dude who's
0: just passed out on the garlic but um well so you said this thing is almost unnavigatable but it scares away tourists because of how much is going on there yeah how were you introduced to it who took you there
1: so the first time I went there was my mom Uh and we got we're just like let's go into this thing and Uh Have a blast. And, and it, you're in there for like four hours. It ate you, yeah. I was going to oh, say, man, I got stayed sick, forever. I got vertigos. There's like, there's just too much. There's Come also on. a
0: hospital there they take in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
1: you wish. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're you're walking through it and like there's there's food stands and there's produce stands and there's like you could buy, there's everything. There's, there's a witchcraft, like uh, Santeria markets, you know, where they sell like, garlic for warding off vampires or all these different crosses with charms or places that you can go have hexes and shit put on people. Uh-huh. And there's also like places where they make chairs and hats. And so everything's encompassed huh. and there's i I'm, I'd imagine a system behind it, but I really don't think there is a, a system. I think it's just kind of like, it just was like a Ford engine. It just was built and then you just kept adding things on uh-huh. it without really ever considering right is this going to be functional in the end? They're building this plane mid-flight. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. You know, but so my my favorite place to eat was like in the heart of this market. And I never really knew how to get there. And even like when I took my brother Dylan to go, and I was living there, he came in, I was just like, all right, all I know is I enter here and we'll find it eventually. Uh-huh. You know, you just go in, you start. And I'm like, okay, this is the Santeria area. I remember going left. And you just walk around until you find it. But it was this little old lady and, um, she had, she's actually quite big lady, but she was kind of old, but she, but she always had like four pots and she'd have black beans. She'd have a red, a red sauce that had meat, like rest, uh, beef in it, Uh a green one that had pork. And then she'd have like pickled pig's ears and, um. And then usually like one other specialty thing, uh-huh. but the beans were just slightly too salty and then the salsas were just slightly under salted. Uh-huh. So they mixed perfectly and then you get great big pieces of, uh, bolillos with it, uh-huh. which is like really soft Mexican bread. Uh-huh. And it was just so simple and delicious. And even my brother Dylan, like we went all over and ate tons of places and he too is like to this day, would just be
0: like, dude, that place was the fucking bomb. I mean, f- <laughs> you know, four simple ingredients handled very well. It's just, I mean, it, it doesn't and surprise in the, me.
1: It's in the right temperatures. Like this, like kind of, you know, mildly warm beans mm-hmm. with this like lukewarm sauce, uh-huh. you know, it it's unusual temperatures and unusual, um, flavoring as far as like the over salted beans and the under salted chili. They just were like, I don't know, man. Just absolutely delicious. I would go there all... Every time I went to the market to shop, I'd go and eat that place once I found out about it. Oh, and you knew who brought me there, actually, was the person I worked with,
2: hmm.
1: who was a local Oaxacan named Ana Acinto, uh-huh. who was a good friend of mine. Uh-huh. And we... Uh, she, she was the one that helped me navigate the Abasto... At first Now I really remember It's awesome Everything comes back To you sure. a little bit You know So what else Did
0: she show you She takes you to the market Where she else does she, she Take was you on a, to go. me
1: Actually to LC2 The first time Now that I'm remember, remembering uh-huh. She took me there LC2 was the restaurant Yeah Cause she's a, she uh-huh. uh, She's like She studies Mezcal And she uh, oh. I think now works For a Mezcal company uh-huh. um, I haven't talked to her Every now and then On Facebook uh-huh. But she took me there She took me to eat At um The there's these places in the Juarez market that's a little closer. It's a little more touristy, and they did a thing on um, online about it. But you can go like pick hand select all your Oaxaca meats, like your tajado, your ribs, your sausages, and they grill it. And then you, you can buy all these like sides, like nopales or mm-hmm. green sauce or whatever to come, to go with it. Uh-huh. And it's just like really, you know, it's a fun experience. It's not the most I think like like awesome amazing Oaxacan experience but it's really fun you know and delicious and tasty
0: well what I'm wondering is do you do you want to go back
1: oh my god dude I want to live there still you do (laughs) for the most I you know there's there's aspects about myself that want to live there but there's aspects that I have other business elsewhere
0: yeah what parts of yourself sort of fell in love with that place the good side
2: the good you <laughs> is there. Uh-huh.
1: You know, the the part that just that loves to be a part of just something that's beautiful and already existing and tasty. There's there's like a a simplicity about about it that this is just what they do and it's just been going on and going and like you don't and it's like in full force, you know. <laughs> Doesn't need a bunch of work like our cuisine in LA needs, mm-hmm. you know. It's like if anything, it just needs to just remain like as good as it is.
2: Hmm.
1: Which is something that's, you know, you can't say that for a lot of places in the States, you know? That there is isn't room for improvement. And I feel like there is like this like maybe they're like as far as their food goes i don't think there's much room for improvement it's at its best huh. you know we eat it's their food is natural their food is um being grown and eaten right there with natural ingredients huh. and um you know even like the celebration of the flowers like going into the market one day and like nearing november and all of a sudden there's just these magenta and gold flowers everywhere uh-huh. and there's and it's like burned into your brain with all the skulls because it's very like that's one of the that was near the time i was i left after day of the dead uh-huh. and going into uh, november and october october november there the, you really get this like spooky halloweeny feel that you that i've never experienced anywhere else where all of a sudden these the spiders come out and there's like spiders everywhere, and they look I have, look like they have little skulls on their back. They like have this, I took pictures of them, and they'd be aren't those the ones that little, are
0: incredibly poisonous?
1: No, I don't think these ones. Maybe I don't know, but there, I, I, yeah, I did find a few really poisonous spiders. I was playing with one, and my girlfriend was like, "That's like one of the most poisonous spiders in all of Oaxaca." And I'm like, "Well, it's slow. I'm <laughs> You're alive now. Yeah, I'm alive." But it's, it's so all the spiders come out, and like. It, there was like virtually no spiders and all of a sudden there's like huge spiders the size of your palm like in the middle of way, like where i'd like oh this is where i'd normally just be walking totally careless and all of a sudden i'm like a foot away from a spider just hit me in the face and Ouch. then the wind comes and the wind's blowing stirring everything up and it's yeah it, all the corn dies and gets harvested and it's all gray so you have like these you know, the, the dead corn stalks still remaining, and then all you see is the pumpkins out in the field. See so mm-hmm. these big pumpkins remaining in the fields, and the beans and the corn get pulled down and harvested. Yeah, the
0: sister planting, yeah.
1: yeah. So you get all this 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 change of a season, but so dramatic. And then comes the flowers, and then all of a sudden in the town you start seeing the skulls, the sugar skulls, and the you know all the Day of the Dead stuff coming out. Ever, and it just becomes a different world huh. you know it's so magical and then you know the, the festival was um it was really amazing because so i lived in san augustine etla and my girlfriend at the time lived in Hoho katlan which is where the cemetery for the day of the dead festival and i didn't know this at the time but if you watch the movie coco yeah that cemetery that is the cemetery That's of Hoho. The uh-huh. and they don't say it in coco but you know watching like and and the movies about Day of the Dead. It's uh-huh. about Oaxaca, but they never say it in the movie. It's a beautiful film. It, it really is. Uh-huh. So I had this privilege of like my girlfriend lived there. So it, it was and the whole trip was kind of building up to this Day of the Dead huh. for me because that was the most quintessential um I think festival of Oaxaca.
2: True. I mean, and I
0: think when people think of Mexico, that it's definitely like a, a focus of, I mean, when I think Mexican holiday, that's one that's very specific right. to them. Yeah.
1: And so that was, and this was the end of my trip. So it was like building up and sure. all this and the get to, and then leading into this, um, hold
0: on one second. <laughs> we were going to reject that call yeah. and keep talking.
1: It's so like leading into day of the dead and, and watching it all change and like getting closer to like the, the finale of my trip and the finale of almost this ex- entire experience but then learning too that this cemetery was like very close to my relationship like with my girlfriend you know she's like oh you have to come to the, the cemetery of Ho she's like this is where it is like uh-huh. they do it in other places but it's like she, she was explaining like, like this is the, the one this is the capital T yeah, the cemetery so we went there and it was like I went there with her we got totally drunk as hell like went all around the cemetery danced her asses off ate tons of food and it's is that an, the way most people approach it. That's exactly. Or you is you that how to, you, do you it, approach it? If you don't do that, you didn't do it the right way. <laughs> you have to have like your shot glass tied to your neck so you can't lose it, uh-huh. and you just run around drinking mezcal and, you know, observing the, the madness because it's madness.
2: Huh.
1: There is a there is a total like, you know, um, Day of the Dead allows, like rules, kind of dissipate. You know, I remember, you know, like the, the, the spirit of everyone is just kind of like heightened and uh, more wild, and it and it's a three day thing. Mm-hmm. It's not one day like it is here. It's like you got the whole you got the cemetery, then you have the so and then where I live, San Augustine Etla, that is they're telling me we're like. The main Day of the Dead festival is held. So, where I, was, so I had the, my girlfriend was living in Holocatlan for the cemetery party. Then the village I lived in, San Jose and Etla, was where this huge, the demon festival was at. Mm. Where all these, where, um, is this where they make the big puppets? They make big, yeah, make uh-huh. huge puppets. Uh-huh. It's like, there's the, the, it starts at the church uh-huh. and... They parade you, around town. Yeah, there's all the tourists, uh-huh. to it, and then all the tourists leave. huh and then the party begins <laughs> and then, and then the, this band, you go, you follow them around through all through the whole village. And it's like, he is going up and down mountains. And these guys, the demons are wearing these outfits that are covered in bells and these And I, I, one of my friends was a demon and he would tell me and he told me, of course
0: you became friend with with a demon. That does not surprise me. He's like,
1: Oh, it's not a costume. He's like, we are demons, but this is our night to actually get to be who we are. And I'm like, whatever that means, you know, but that's fucking awesome. Do
0: you find that something like that, it just seems connected in some way to the sort of witchcraft that you were talking about, the sort of table that was in the market that you said? Yeah. I mean, are those, is there a connection between that and the sort of thinking of, The dead and how we, I mean, demons and Mm -hmm. witchcraft. and I think they allow a lot more like
1: just of the supernatural world to Mm. be celebrated. Mm. And there's a lot less like trying to put labels and names and this is this
0: and this is that. It's just kind of like... You know, know, openness to more the openness. possibility or chance there. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're there, that's day one, day two. Is the demons? What's day three?
1: Day, t- day three is fucking hide because everyone's been drinking for three days, and this whole city it's is fucking going crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think the oh, last. Wait, does it end on day three? Or no, I, I think day three is like the actual day of the dead. Oh, that's. Is that's
0: Dia de los Muertos? Oh, okay, so that's November first. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So you have this you know, the cemetery, then you have the the village like demon party, and then mm-hmm. the last day I think is the actual day of the dead. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I'm fucking hiding because the everyone is like dressed in demon costumes that are scary as hell. Like I remember one guy was like pulling a wagon full of like dead babies. You know, and this shit is not the slutty little Halloween that we know here. It's like this deep, dark, crazy shit. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm the only white dude people want to come in like they probably need you for a sacrifice
0: or
2: something yeah
1: i was Uh like i could be easily sacrificed right and i'm like and the cops are wasted they're not going to do anything (laughs) (laughs) we're seeing like this liquor store like three cops are like fucking two were passed out and one guy was like you know on his
0: way they were a mezcal
1: billboard Yeah, (laughs) yeah on the side of the road that's right yeah but it's it's phenomenal man it's the whole city gets involved on a level of commitment that you know i think we we could only dream of (laughs) sure
0: and it sounds really beautiful yeah um well thank you jesse for talking about mexico i am sure we will talk about it more at some point oh yeah is there anything else we should tell anybody Oh man, I don't know. There's so
1: much more to talk about. We're like, gonna come back.
0: We're gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna come back after a real quick break, and we're gonna tell you one more incredible thing. So watch out. Maybe. I'm just kidding. Maybe. <laughs>
2: this
0: podcast is brought to you by Wheat.
2: That's it. That's the whole thing. Wheat. Yeah.
0: Okay, we are back. Now, the one thing I wanted to ask Jesse about is, I know we've talked about hot sauces on this show before, and he's been talking about Oaxaca. My question is, are there Oaxacan hot sauces? Are there specialty hot sauces that they use in Oaxaca? Well... There isn't necessarily, I think, especially
1: hot sauce, but mm-hmm. there are specialty chilies. Okay. And that's what, being in Oaxaca is what got me really thinking about chilies on this level of like, wow, I need to expand my chili accessibility for hot sauce making. Because for instance, like the haban, I had this habanero, and this is where it all started as I was getting clayudas uh-huh. in Oaxaca with my girlfriend and, um, And there was this little tiny habanero, and I love habaneros. Uh And I was like, oh, yeah, boom, popped in my mouth, started chewing up, ate it, and, like, next thing you know, my face is, like, on fire. Uh I'm crying. Uh I can't get the heat to go away. Uh And I'm like, this is so great. It's so much hotter than the habaneros I'm used to. Uh I'm like, I got to get these and take the seeds and go back and grow these because I can't get this kind of flavor and heat from the habaneros where I'm in L.A. Uh You know, but then one of the most amazing chilies they have there is called Chile de agua and it's the most quintessential spicy chili of Oaxaca. You can't get it anywhere else. I've never seen it anywhere else. And it looks essentially like a small yellow Anaheim.
2: Okay.
1: You know, it's maybe about six inches, four to six inches long. It's bright yellow and it looks like an Anaheim chili Hmm. and it's spicy like a habanero. Uh huh. But it's slightly sweet and it's got a very unique flavor. And they use it so much; they chop it up with onions and lime juice and salt, and they uh, eat it on all kinds of things. I see, and it is
0: so so delicious. So, did did eating this all the time did this change your palate? I mean, I know you've always liked spicy foods, but when you went to Oaxaca, did you do you feel like you started eating differently after? Did it? change? I felt you- like
1: coming back that that nothing had flavor anymore do, that, you, do that, you still feel that way or have yeah, you sort I of recalibrated it? still 100% feel that way uh-huh. i think going to the going to our markets is pathetic uh-huh. i think that even going to like our farmers markets and people going look how great this is and i'm like it has the the smells uh-huh. the smells of these things like we're starting to get there now i'm uh-huh. starting to see better produce but if you go to like sprouts or anything your organic section you know you don't walk past bananas and you're like smacks in the face by bananas smell and it's like bam we're bananas bitch. we
0: smell good which is know? how I, w- which is, I want to be handled by bananas yeah. I want to be hit it's, you want to be smacked in, in the face violence from produce dude, I, I, I remember the banana girl to and, fixing this <laughs> dude I
1: call it the, the platano girl in Oaxaca mm-hmm. she had like big bright lips huge hooker hoop earrings and like her hair was like plastered in a ponytail to her head with gel uh-huh. and she was like so loud platanos 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 all day every day it was amazing but you walked past you walked into her stand and you got smacked by the platinum man because the banana smell you could smell it like coming up to it Hmm. and it just permeated the air it was Uh incredible and then the amount of like bananas available Uh was incredible like Uh at all times you'd have like 20 to 30 different kinds of but platanos available everything from like cooking ones to sweet ones Uh to little ones the big ones the blue ones red ones you know ones that were platanos machos which are like the size of a watermelon (laughs) not really but close it's thinner but you know and then the mango section right you go walk in to the mangoes and the mangoes they're they like have sugar dripping out of them Hmm. they're like Shiny and sticky, and there's bees everywhere. Hmm. They just let the bees just go. They don't, they just have like a little thing to just like kind of shooing them away. They dust them off. But there's, oh, the pineapple section. So that was, this is a fruit that blew my mind, comparatively speaking to our pineapple, Uh which is like opaque and sour Uh and kind of translucent, uh, very mild yellow color, Uh you know? Whereas theirs is like dark orange, it has a sheen to it from the sugar mm-hmm. being so mature, mm-hmm. and that when you cut it, it it's like uh, looks, oh, it looks it's shiny and it's so dark mm-hmm. and so so sweet, <sighs> so much sweeter. And so at the pl- at the pineapple stands, which I learned another cool little trick is that all the fruit stands in Oaxaca, if you go and get it friends with the guy, most of them have a fermented like if it is pineapple or wanabana or sugar cane, uh-huh. they'll have a fermented one that they keep in a Coke bottle in the back huh. and they will give it to you if you ask for it. Oh. And it may or may not give you indigestion. I'm not sure, but it's usually really <laughs> delicious. <laughs> but, um, but in the bee, and they just let bees cover it. And it's, it's really cool walking up and just seeing this piece of like pineapple covered in bees and then just shooting the bees away, then handing you a piece and you're like, Oh my God. No wonder bees are all over this thing. This is fucking amazing. You know? So like, uh, but the mango section, they have like so many different kinds of mangoes. They have one particular one that I love to get called a Mm pina mango. And so pineapple mango, And what you do with this one is you just roll it on the tabletop, Mm -hmm. like kind of smash the fruit, and you'll feel the seed inside. Right, pushing the skin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the skin's really thick and leathery, so you can really crush it up. And then you just bite the top off and drink it. Oh, God, yeah, you told me that. Yeah, and it is so, it's
0: absolutely incredible. Drinking a mango. Drinking a mango right out of the... The shell, you know, this is I mean, things like hearing things like this always make me think that's what Willy Wonka is based on. Like yeah. if you traveled somewhere and they did something like that, you just go, H- what, how, why? Like, it's amazing. Uh-huh. It feels like an incredible invention. It is, man. It's so th- these are the things that like change
1: my life as far as food really is concerned, because the you just face with this like product that is literally better than anything you've ever thought was good, Uh you know, and the variety and then being faced with this, like, like avocados. Like, Uh did you ever think that you go to a place and have like 30 different avocados to choose from and then being like outstandingly different in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Like there's these one, my favorite avocados were the size of like a large grape almost. Uh And you could eat the whole thing, the skin seed and all, and they taste just like anise. And it's like absolutely. We had this one avocado on the tree growing on our property that I never even seen in any store before. And it was like the seed wasn't edible, but the skin was. Huh. But the top of it was like really long and pointy, like a nipple. And uh-huh. the 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 flesh was just so creamy and delicious. Huh. And then some of them were like water, like watery avocados. <laughs>
0: it Blow your mind, man. I, I my i'm gonna take the rest of the day to recover <laughs> like it's you know like i've just had three days of day of the dead because this is um i mean honestly astounding so jesse thank you so much for sharing everything you have mm-hmm. you're i mean it's it sounds and seems incredible
1: and my favorite oh the last thing i'm gonna end with hit me is my favorite drink it's, yeah. it's of all time uh-huh. it's called Tejate,
2: uh-huh.
1: and Tejate is this you make a masa with a um, cacao, and then it's called Hueso de Mame. So corn
0: the, with chocolate? Or yeah, like a corn, chocolate. Cacao. Uh-huh.
1: So then, yeah, corn, cacao, the cacao seed, because there's lots of fats in it. Uh-huh. And then, um, the bone of the of the Mame fruit, which is the seed of the Mame. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's huge. And the Mame is a very, like, dark, deep jungle fruit. So okay. it's got a lot of potency and, and um sugar in it sweet mm-hmm. but they make a masa with at the and then they pour cold water on it and you drink it on hot days and it's so nourishing so refreshing delicious but the coolest part is that all that fat from the seeds from the cacao and the my seed float to the top and and make this foam this fat foam uh-huh. that is like and they, they achieve this consistency by by pouring it in from from like from height huh. high up so when you pour in the ice water, it has to be so create to aerate it, create bubbles, uh-huh. and that makes the the fat nice and light and foamy. So you get this amazing drink that has this layer of fat on top of it's it. It's called what? It's called tejate. Tejate, and it's fifteen pesos for a cup, and it is the best fifteen pesos You've ever you'll spent? ever spend. Wow, yeah, it should be like million
0: dollars but it's only 15 pesos. All right. <laughs> you all heard it here first yeah. unless you're from oaxaca and then you heard it here second. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then you uh, already know about it. <laughs> uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this uh for episode number 5 of Vegan Carne Alliance. You can find us online at vegancarnealliance.com. You can visit us on the internet at vegancarnatealliance.com or at alliance on Instagram. On Twitter, we are at vegan underscore carnate. That is like an RSS feed for all of your um if you want to keep up on the stories that we're posting on the website, a very different thing. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Stitcher, but not Spotify because their software is too dumb to connect with SoundCloud. Breaking my heart. I keep trying to get it on Spotify for everybody. Um, If you want to find Jesse online, he is Jesse Mullinix. so uh, J-E-S-S-E-M-U-L-L-E-N-I-X, and that's on Instagram, and um, you can send us some thoughts at Vegan Carne Alliance. Uh, Please do the rating thing that helps people find us. If you enjoyed this, this will help more people find us and enjoy us also. Any last thoughts, Jesse? Oh, I just, I'm just still thinking about Oaxaca. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm off in my Never Never Land now, man. Uh, <laughs> we went there. <laughs> we did. It. We did. It. And it was beautiful. And yeah. we are so glad you all joined us. So thank you very much. And mm. we will talk to you again shortly. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Adios. Adios. Vegan karnic,
2: Alliance.
0: Baby.
2: Vegan karnic, Alliance. Ooh. Vegan karnic, Alliance. Vegan, (laughs) carne, alliance...